this is the truth about me. I have a hard time being sexually pure. It's a challenge for my life. And I wish that when I became a pastor that all the sexual temptations just kind of went away and I didn't have to deal with that anymore. I I wish that all of my sexual past, all the the dark things that have happened in my sexual memories would be gone, but it just doesn't happen that way. And so daily, I have to work very hard to be sexually pure. Now, part of the reason I have to work so hard is because my sexual past is not very clean and whole. There are a lot of mistakes, a lot of flub-ups, mess-ups, and screw-ups, a lot of wipeouts, to be quite honest. And... My innocence did not last very long. Now, growing up, I was uh, similar to a lot of kids uh, my age and parents when it came to having the talk. Uh, My dad and mom did not have the talk with me. They didn't have any talk whatsoever when it uh, came to sex. My dad was busy and he was working a lot and so... Uh, He didn't have time, even as a pastor, he didn't have time to kind of talk to me about that. Um, He never told me about the birds and the bees, the apples and the trees, and the moon up above. Uh, We never talked about love. We never talked about sex. But parents, I want to encourage you specifically that if you don't talk to your kids about sex... Somebody else will talk to them, and they will get answers. Now, growing up, I heard about the dangers of sex and how I should avoid certain girls who drink, chew, or do it with boys that do, you know? Like, I heard that kind of stuff. And uh, I heard that you had to be careful of certain women that might actually become doctors one day who would take advantage of me. Um, you know, I, I heard about those kind of things. The, if you're new, my wife's a doctor, so some of you are like, okay, well, that's kind of weird. Doctor, what's, what kind of church is this? But uh, I never really had any talk about sex and marriage and how it could be good and positive, and it was a wonderful gift from God. So since my parents didn't share anything with me, my brother did. My brother was the first person to give me a Playboy magazine and to give me a VHS tape that had adult videos on it. And he continued to supply my need, and some other uh, boys in middle school did as well. And before I turned the age of 12, my innocence in this area of my life was gone. Then I went on to high school thinking that's the way sex should be from what I saw in these magazines and in these videos. And kind of this destructive cycle started to take place. I watched bad movies. I was always looking for short skirts, car dates, proms, alcohol, truth or dare, spin the bottle. It was all a part of my life. 
And then when I actually hit college and the slippery slope of sin became steeper and steeper and steeper, I gave my virginity away willingly and my sexual purity was no more. And my sexual life in college was out of control. But my senior year, I realized that my life was out of control, not only in this area, but in many areas. And I was 21 years old, had all the freedom that I wanted, but there was something that was missing in my life. And so I desperately tried to seek God, but the person that I was dating at that time, because our sexual past was so full, I had to break off that relationship. Now, at Manchester College in 1992, if you were to look at this particular girl I was dating, she was the trophy girlfriend. She was the one that all the guys were like, you're an idiot. What do you mean? You're actually breaking up with her. And I was like, well, I just feel like God wants me to go a different direction. I'm breaking this off. And I stopped dating. I stopped hooking up with people on weekends. I stopped doing any of that kind of stuff. And people thought I was weird. People thought I was strange. But the next girl that I dated, I married. And Jennifer, more than anyone else in my life, taught me about the importance of sexual purity and how important it was to have that in a relationship. Well, Jennifer and I, we waited until we got married to have sex. And when the honeymoon came, it was like, man, I'm like reborn. Like everything from the past was gone. And I actually had some new life, some new energy. And I was so grateful to God for being able to heal a part of my life. Now, after I got married, I just kind of assumed that I'd never have any sexual temptations anymore. Because Jennifer should be able to fulfill everything, you know. But this is what I actually found. That after I got married, the sexual temptations actually became even greater. In fact, in some ways, uh, it became much more difficult to stay sexually pure. Sometimes I wonder, as I look back at my past, of some of the poor choices that I made in my sexual life. And I still wonder, why is it at 44 that I still have temptations? But I'm assuming that I'm the only one who is dealing with any of this, right? Like, I'm the only person. Oh, you're all holy today, aren't you? You're all like, no one's like, yep, when it came to this one, I'm not raising my hand for anything, you know? Yeah. I mean, have you ever had this thought before? After a sexual encounter, what the heck was I thinking? Why did I hook up with this guy? Why did I actually have sex with that woman? I don't even remember her name. Or you think about how messed up your own sexual past is, and you're like, why does it keep happening? Do you ever have a mind that wanders to sexually explicit thoughts about someone other than your spouse? Do you ever laugh at a sexual joke that takes place in the break room? Do your eyes ever wander to places that it shouldn't wander? Are you honoring God even though you only take 15 seconds to look at that one picture on the internet? 
Women, are you honoring God when you read magazine articles like this? 73 sinful ways to drive a man crazy in bed. Cosmopolitan has those all the time. Or do you ever drop sexual innuendos? If you're single, do you ever feel horrible the morning after when you can't even remember what happened? Folks, the reason why we're talking about sex this morning is because you can almost fully recover from any other disaster. Natural, physical, emotional, financial. But when it hits this world of sexuality, when it comes to our sexual disaster, have you ever noticed those are the stories no one ever laughs about? When that hits, no one laughs. Because sex is not just physical. It's much, much deeper than that. And when someone crosses the line sexually, there are things that people then will carry for the rest of their life. And we know that. We know it. We just don't like to talk about it. And yet the damage done that happens goes through the rest of our lives. The memories follow us through our lives. The guilt follows us through, the, through our lives. The ghosts of the past follow us through our lives. And it goes on and on and on. Now some of you this morning are going to think that I'm way too conservative. You're like, whoa, that seems too much, Bunch. It's okay. Because I really do believe that if we got healthy in this area of our life, you would be better off, I would be better off, our church would be better off, and our culture would be better off. Now the reality is, we are not the first people to ever experience pain when it comes to this area of life. We are not the first people to ever experience sexual temptations around us. The Bible is filled with people who experience this all the time. And Paul, the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament, gave a statement about this kind of pain and how you could avoid it, how you could overcome it, when he said this in 1 Corinthians 6.18. He says this, flee from sexual immorality. Let's all read that out loud together, okay? Flee from sexual immorality. He says, flee. Don't be careful. Don't watch out. Don't get as close as you can to the line without going over. Paul just says, flee. Now, here's what I know about each one of you. Maybe you're here for the very first time. Maybe you're new to this whole God thing. Maybe you're new to Christian stuff. Maybe you're a Christ follower. But if you're married, if you're married, you want your husband to do that, don't you? You want your wife to do that. If you have kids, you want your kids to do that. If one day you have kids, you want your kids to do that. You want your grandkids to do that. You want your best friend to do that. This is what I know about all the people that you care about. You want them to do this. You're just not so sure that you want to do this. 
You think, I'm glad my husband's here today. I've been thinking about this anyway. Some of the stuff that he's been doing. I'm glad my wife's here. I'm glad my kids are here. I'm going to get a copy of this. My cousin Eddie, he is a weird dude. And like he needs a talk like this. The truth is, we often want the limelight on everyone else, but we don't want to think about this ourselves. And you and I know the implications whenever you cross the line sexually, how it creates pain in your life. So we know it is wise to flee from sexual immorality. But when it comes to you, and when it comes to me, we don't flee. We flirt. That's what we do. We flirt. And that's the big idea that I want you to take home this morning, is this. Flee, don't flirt. Let's say that out loud together, okay? Flee, don't flirt. Flee, don't flirt. Folks, everywhere in our culture, we are baited and baited and baited and baited to the edge of sexual immorality. And then when someone actually crosses the line or they fall, then all of a sudden what happens is we put that person down and we ream them a new one. For example, probably everybody in this place and in our culture thinks that, you know, they're against teenage pregnancy. We shouldn't have teenage pregnancy. That's not a good thing. But have you ever walked in the mall before? Have you ever seen the windows of what they are marketing to our girls before? I mean, if you want to be cool, if you want to look the right way, then what you need is some short shorts that shows your booty. And then you got to have one of those shirts that kind of go up a little bit higher so that they can see a little bit skin above everything. And then you want a V-neck so that you can show a little cleavage. And this is what they're marketing to our girls. So when one of our girls gets pregnant and they cross the line, all of a sudden then we're like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this. Oh, it has to be their parents. Their parents must be bad. Oh, what's wrong with these people? And folks, what happens is culture baits us and baits us and baits us to the line. And then it reams us. It puts us down. It crucifies us when we do that. But they market to our little girls. My daughter Jordan's eight. We went to go look for some jeans about three months ago. All of a sudden, she's like, Dad... These jeans keep falling down. She's eight years old. I don't want someone to see her butt crack. She's not going into plumbing. You know what I mean? <laughs> but that's what we have a tendency to do. We, we judge the other people, but the culture says, go for it. Internet porn. <laughs> Interesting statistic this week. Worldwide, globally. The business is a hundred billion dollars. A hundred billion dollars. 
Do you know how many countries in the world don't have a hundred billion dollars in their economy? A lot. And somewhere there's this line that says, oh, that's gross. Oh, that's gross. I mean, you can look at this, but you shouldn't look at this. And oh, and I can't believe that that person got involved with this. And guys, you know as well as I do that we're marketed to more than anything else when it comes to TV or watching a movie or you walk through the mall and you're baited and you're baited and you're baited to the point of sexual immorality. And then when a guy actually gets addicted to porn and they have this issue with pornography, we're like, oh, they're gross. Oh, I cannot believe that he got involved in that. I just can't believe it. Well, he just took the bait. There's a lot of guys in this room today, I guarantee that they've been taking their old fishing pole out. They've been kind of fly fishing into the cesspool of porn. But I only kept my hook in there for, you know, 30 seconds and and I'm holy. But then when the other person gets addicted to it, then we're like, oh, let's let's crucify them. Let's be honest about another thing. Every single day. This is every single one of us. The person that's sitting in your chair, the person sitting beside you, the guy that is talking to you right now. All of us entertain ourselves with affairs. We all entertain ourselves with affairs. Whether it's on TV or a movie or whatever it is. And then we actually are like shocked when someone has an affair. We're like, oh, really? Now, let me just ask you this question. When was the last time that you watched a movie and there was a hot scene between two married people? (laughs) You know why we laugh at that? Because there is something within us that says, who would ever want to see that? I mean, watching married people get it. I mean, that's like my parents. Who wants to see that? And so we're just like, I don't want to see anything like that. I don't want to see married people having sex. You know, I was thinking about, I think the last time I saw a scene where there were two married people that kind of had their own kind of moment was in Rocky One. Sylvester Stallone. Adrian, you know, like Adrian and they get married and it's like 45 seconds of this like ooey gooey. And you're kind of like, well, I guess it's not too bad, but they're married like, oh, I don't know about that. You see, we entertain ourselves with this. And when someone acts it out, then all of a sudden, like we're like, I can't believe it. Folks, we are constantly being baited to the edge of disaster when it comes to sexual immorality. And then we're put down. So the key is this, to flee, not flirt. To flee, not to flirt. Now, in making all the points that I've made about the culture, I'm not saying that we should all start boycotting everything, you know, 
we all should like become the church that stays in a little box and we have our little sign. You know, everyone's going to hell but us. So, you know, let's go for it. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying don't watch movies. I'm not saying, you know, don't go to the mall. You can decide all those things on your own. But this is what I am saying. That regardless of who you are, you need boundaries. I need boundaries. We all need boundaries. Now, a boundary can be defined this way. A line that marks the limits of an area in our lives. A line that marks the limits of an area in our lives. Now, the greatest boundary that I have ever witnessed before was actually in Southern California at the border of San Diego and Tijuana, Mexico. I've gone to dozens and dozens of mission trips there. And one of the things that has always um, been amazing to me is that there are actually kind of two boundaries. There is this boundary. Well, we got a picture of it here. And it's just kind of a kind of weak kind of a little boundary. It's a metal wall. And it's a boundary. And what the boundary is basically saying is that, hey, we're trying to keep you from having some pain or to get into any trouble. So there's this little wall. And people will go up to that wall all the time. But then there is a second boundary, which is the actual border. And this is what it looks like. It's this high fence with barbed wire over the top. And there are lights all over the place. Now, this is what's interesting. From that first little metal wall to this gigantic fortress of a wall, there are several hundred yards in between that. But if you finally get to this one and you try to cross it, you will be arrested and prosecuted and then you'll be deported back to Mexico. And this is all I'm saying. We. You. Me. We all need some boundaries when it comes to sexual immorality. Before we ever cross the line, we should have a boundary. Because that's what helps people from being arrested. There's this little one, they bump up against it and they're like, Ah, I know if I cross this and I go over, it's not going to be good for me. So I need this boundary. We need to say this is as close as I'm going to get to this thing. And if I bump up to my boundary, my personal boundary, then I'm going to feel guilty. I'm going to say, God, I'm so sorry that I did this. But this is the thing, that if you bump up to that first boundary, you haven't sinned. You haven't messed up anything. You've just bumped up to a boundary and said, you know what? I'm, I'm thinking about it, but wow. Okay, now I'm going to back off. And I'm not going to live out on the edge anymore. Here's the boundary. Now, if you're a Christian, there's even a greater incentive for you and me to flee from sexual immorality. There's even a greater incentive for you and I to do that. Look at what Paul says in verse 19. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Then he says this, do you not know? Which meant he thought They didn't know. Just like some of you today, before today, you you just didn't know. Do you not know that your bodies, your bodies are temples? 
Did you know that? When you woke up this morning and you looked in the mirror, you're like, this is my temple. I've got a growing temple. The temple is growing. It's growing big. I've got a temple. And Paul says that this concept of your body being a temple is not just something that I've talked about, but it has implications uh, from the Old Testament and it's implied in the New Testament as well. And God says your body is a temple, which means that your body is holy. Look at what it says. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Now, if you're a Christian, even if you're not a Christian, your body is sacred. That may not be your worldview, but Christians actually believe that every single person's body is sacred. And when you become a Christ follower, what happens is that God actually comes into your life through his spirit into your physical body. Which means our bodies are temples of God, whom you have received from God, that the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. Everybody that is here today, your physical body is special. It's very, 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 very special to God. And then listen to the implication. You are not your own. Your body doesn't just belong to yourself. If you're a Christ follower, because you've asked God to come into your life, his spirit is there. And so God actually has taken residence in your body. He's moved in. And how could he do that? Because your body was bought for a price. Folks, when Christ came into the world and he died for your sins, he purchased you. You have been purchased from sin and you no longer are a slave to sin. You do not have to give in to every single appetite, every single desire, every thought that comes into your mind. You have been purchased from sin. Consequently, then, you are not your own. You have been purchased by God. Therefore, here's the application. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This whole text is about sex. The whole context around it is about sex. And he says, flee from sexual immorality... Don't you know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that God resides within your body? That you're not your own. You've been purchased by a price. And what was the price? The price was that Jesus Christ went to a cross and he died upon it. And that's the price that God paid for your body. So Paul says, this is what I want you to do with your body. If you ever have questions, if it becomes unclear, if you ever figure something out, if you ever need to make a decision, the answer should be honor God with your body. That you honor God with your body. If it's dishonoring to God, don't do it with your body. If it's dishonoring to God... Don't take your body there. If it's dishonoring to God, don't look at it. If it's dishonoring to God, don't think about it. 
Just decide every single morning when you wake up, this is my temple. But it's not mine alone. It belongs to God. And my body belongs to you. And so today, God, I want to honor you with my body. And so God says, well, when it comes to sexual immorality, then you need to flee, 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 and not flirt, 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 flirt. You've got to flee sexual immorality, which practically means you've got to establish some boundaries. Now, I want to give you some real specific boundaries if you're for married folks and for single folks. So at this point, if you're like, oh, he's been talking about sex forever and I've been counting the lights and right now I see about four that are on and there are another four that are off. Or if you've been taking your cell phone and you've been acting like you're taking notes, but you're really working on your fantasy football you know, for this afternoon, then, okay, let's all come back together, okay, just for this, um, because I, I really want you to know that you have to make a decision today. And if you choose not to make a decision, guess what? That's your decision. When people don't make decisions, it doesn't mean they don't make decisions. They made a decision. They just made a decision not to make a decision. And I want to share with you that Today, you have to answer the question yourself, am I going to honor God with my body? Am I going to honor him with my body or am I not going to honor him with my body? So, married people, here is the first suggestion I have for you. Don't travel alone with members of the opposite sex. If you're married... Don't travel along with people of the opposite sex. Just don't do it. Just decide, because I am married, I just don't travel alone with people of the opposite sex. Now, the staff of the jar has this boundary. Uh, It makes it kind of difficult sometimes. Because I can't drive with Emily, I can't drive with Jennifer, and sometimes we have to spend more money in gas to go places because we're not going to do that. Now, Mikey and Emily, some of you know, they're married, so they can actually go together. But the rest of us, not so much, okay? So it gets awkward, but I honestly, I just think it's worth it, so we don't do it. Now, just this past week, though, I had something come up. We had a trustees meeting on Wednesday morning at 7 o'clock. We have two male trustees and we have one female trustees. They handle all the finances of the church. And when I got to the church office, guess who didn't show? The two males. They had reasons why they couldn't, but they weren't there. So we waited for about five minutes and Sandy King, who's one of our trustees, I said, Sandy... Uh, We're not going to meet here today. You know my boundaries. She's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I said, we're going to go to IHOP. From our office to IHOP, you know how long it takes? One minute. And you might say, well, that's not a big deal. It's only one minute. What could happen in a minute? Well, what could happen in a minute? 
So this is what we did. I went out. I got in my car. Sandy got in her car. We drove one minute away. We parked right beside each other, waved at each other as we walked in, and we had our meeting at IHOP. Now, it seemed kind of silly for us to drive separately because it didn't make sense. But I think that that should be just operating procedure for people who are married, who are really serious about maintaining boundaries morally because we live in a dangerous culture. Now, I know that what I'll get some feedback from is some people go, well, you know, my work, they force me to do this. Really, they force you. Like you couldn't say, hey, uh, this is just one of those. No, I think they could work it out. So you decide. Here's the second thing. Don't eat alone with members of the opposite sex without a phone call to your spouse and or your accountability partner. Now, why is that important? Because almost every affair, and that's what happens. After the affair happens, then I often am called in to help with counseling. And the pain and the hurt, almost every affair starts here. Someone says, hey, you want to get coffee? Sure. Then coffee leads to lunch. Lunch leads to dinner. Dinner leads to another dinner. Then dinner leads to working late at night. And during this whole time, you could have picked up the phone any of these moments to call your spouse or to call a trusted friend and say, hey, I'm meeting with so-and-so, just wanted to let you know, but people don't do that. And then they go down this slippery slope. And then you're left with blowing up families, blowing up marriages when there could have been a boundary. So let's just decide. I'm not going to eat with a person of the opposite sex unless I call my spouse or a trusted friend. Now, some of you are like, Chris, that's extreme. I know you're pastor boy and that's your thing, but that seems a little extreme to me. Well, sometimes boundaries are extreme, but they keep you safe. I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting across at Applebee's, either one because the husband didn't show up or the boyfriend didn't, or it's a single mom or just a single person, and I'm sitting there and I pick up the phone. I'm like, hey, you mind if I make a phone call? Yeah, no problem. I call, hey, Jen, I'm with so-and-so. We're here at Applebee's. Now, some people would say, oh, I bet the person across from you are like, oh, my gosh. No, you know what they say most of the time? They're like, oh, that's cool. I'm kind of glad that my pastor does that. I've uh, done that with my accountability partner many times before. Jen's working. I can't get a hold of her. I send her a text. I call him. Hey, this is what I'm doing. And sometimes I do it for both. Now, this is what's just as important. Once the lunch is over, you pick up the phone and you say, hey, lunch is done. I'm heading back to the office or lunch is over. I'm going to the next appointment because sometimes what happens if you don't do that, then the person on the other side thinks, You've had six hours of a lunch. That was a long lunch. Man, what, what kind of lunch did you have? This is like a lot of lunch there, you know? And so uh, that's what we do. Number three, when you feel your heart or your desire drifting towards a specific person, tell someone. When you feel your heart or your desires drifting towards a specific person, a specific man, a specific woman. Tell someone. 
Now, you don't have to tell your spouse immediately about this. At some point, you should, but you don't have to immediately. But that's why we have things like small groups and Celebrate Recovery and women's groups. And we're going to start a new men's life group at the end of this month because sometimes you just need to share what's going on because there needs to be a place where you can be totally transparent. You go up and you're like, well, I don't know what it is, but there's this guy at work. And every time he walks by, there's just something within me that kind of goes, ooh. And I don't like to feel that necessarily, but I just feel that and it's embarrassing. And I honestly, I'd like to say that I'm not attracted to him, but I kind of am attracted to him. And I know it feels weird, but I just wanted to tell somebody. Or, man... This girl, she walks up and she's chatting and she's talking and she always smells really good. And there's been a couple times where all of a sudden my thoughts start going somewhere else. And I don't want that to happen, but it's embarrassing. It's awkward. But I just thought, you know, I'd say something. Now, you might be saying at this point, Chris, is that necessary? Yep. And at the same point, you might be saying this. Isn't that a little bit extreme? Nope. Because this is what I know in dealing with people whose marriages have been blown up. Is that they would have done anything to have had some boundaries. They never, 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 never regret that. And if you're married, you should let your spouse know what your boundaries are. Jen knows what my boundaries are. Every once in a while, I'll be in a situation. She's like, hey, I didn't feel too good about you being with this person or, oh, okay. Now, a lot of women right now are like, I'm so glad my husband is here. He has no clue. And that girl, she's doing that. And, ugh. and guys right now are like, dude, I could have went to BW3s and had the first seat for the Colts game, you know? Like, seriously. But listen, guys, if you don't ever set any boundaries... One day, you may come to a line and you'll cross it. And when you cross it, then you have to deal with the mess and the blow up and the destruction after. Okay, here's for single people. Number one, just gouge your eye out with a spoon. (laughs) I didn't have anything better. I mean, I was just... Like if I were single and I just thought, just gouge your eye out with a spoon. Just kidding. Hey, here's the first one. Apply the married people's boundaries in your relationships with married people. In other words, treat married people like you would want someone to treat your married person if you were married. And I can tell this to you, ladies. Once you get married... You don't want sweet, cute, sweet so-and-so coming up to your husband and going, ha, 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 can we have lunch? Can we just have lunch today? Or can we have dinner? Oh, this is so hard. I am not getting this. Could you come and help me? If you're single, no, just stay away. You just decide, I don't travel with married people. I don't have lunch or dinner with them. Now, some of you single people are doing this right now, and you're meeting with them, and Some of you actually think you're helping them. Like I'm being a godly, 
Christ-centered woman who's helping this poor man because his marriage is a mess. And sometimes you even pray, God, when I meet with him today, just give me wisdom of knowing how to point him back towards his wife and his children. Help me to be a good counselor as we have lunch today. In Jesus' name, amen. And God is in heaven going like this. No, 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 no. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. Why? Because he doesn't answer a prayer like that. It's foolish to do this. Because you're moving towards something that you have no business to be moving toward. Next thing, if you're single. No sleepovers. Eight-year-olds have sleepovers. My daughter has sleepovers every once in a while. No sleepovers. Just decide that my boyfriend or my girlfriend will never, ever, ever, ever spend the night. Just decide. Now, is it a sin to have a sleepover? No. It's not a sin. It's not a sin at all. The point of a boundary, though, is to keep you from crossing something that you're going to regret a lot later on. Because again, folks, sex is not just physical. It's so much more than that. Yeah, but Chris, dude, you don't understand. You're like 44. You know, you don't understand the culture we live in. You don't know what it's like to be single. You don't know what's going on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out here, folks. I think I know a little bit more than what you would think I do. Or I wouldn't be up here talking about it. Because who wants to talk about this subject today? I mean, wouldn't it have been better if, you know, a bunch just got up there and talked about prayer and the Bible and, you know, sweet baby Jesus and we're getting ready to celebrate his birthday coming up, you know? Like, that's what we should have talked about. Now, are these boundaries extreme? I don't think so. I think they're common sense. And I'm telling you, five years from now, if you put some of these boundaries in your life, you will not be looking five years from now going, man, I just wish I had a few more sleepovers. I mean, if I would have just had a few more sleepovers, life would have been so much better. Or you'll never have this thing. Have you ever had this? You walk into Marsh and the person that you slept with is in Marsh and you feel awkward and you're kind of like moving around trying to avoid where they're at. You just won't have it. Now, I realize that in a group this size that many of us have some shame from our past sexual sins. Maybe some of you did a lot more flirting than fleeing. Maybe there have been a lot more sleepovers and one-night stands than you'd like to admit. Maybe there are some things that have happened in your past sexually. And regularly the guilt kind of eats away at you and you beat yourself up and you feel bad. But the only way that you ever overcome those kind of things is when you give the ugly shame from your past to God and you surrender it and you say, even this God, I'm not hiding from you. I want some freedom. I want to be made whole. A few years ago, there was a guy by the name of Frank Warren who began a project called Post Secret. He took thousands of postcards, put them all over and told people they could send them anonymously back to him about any secret shame that they had in their life. And these poured into his mailbox. Total strangers sharing what painful secrets they had. And many of them were of the sexual nature. And here are just a few 
from the book that he created. Let's take a look. I just want to ask you this morning, is there a secret sexual sin from your past that you've been carrying? Well, the Bible says this, that everything that is now hidden or secret will eventually be brought to the light. And at first, when you think that, you think, oh, man, I don't want that. I don't want all my stuff, all my past all my sexual secret shame to be there. We don't want everything to be known. But the Bible is very clear that everything, not some things, but everything will one day be brought to light in front of God. So the question becomes, when that happens, how would God receive us if I actually brought everything to him from my sexual past? Well, there's actually a promise that God gives to us, and it's this. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions, our sins, even our sexual secrets from us. He promises that he does that. But why? Why would God do that? Why wouldn't he judge us? Why wouldn't he put us down? Because that's not his nature. Scripture says this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Friends, God loves you. He is amazingly in love with you. And he longs to forgive you so that you don't have to carry the weight of that sexual secret anymore. But the question really becomes, will you let him carry it for you? 
The Bible says this, the one who trusts in him, Jesus, will never be put to shame. Today, Jesus wants to remove some of the sexual secret sin that is in this place. He wants to lighten your load. And so we're going to give you an opportunity to know how to do that. If you would, there was a card in your program. If you didn't get one, just raise your hand. We'll get one to you. But there's a card. It looks like this. There's a big garbage dump. And then at the bottom it says, Today I let go of and throw away my sexual sin. And what I'd like you to do, and I'll be the first one to do it here in just a second. But I'd like you to write it down and then to come and to just throw it in the trash. Whether you're married, single, doesn't matter. But if there's something that maybe was back from middle school or high school or something in your 20s or something maybe you've just been holding back, why would you want to keep carrying that? Get some freedom today. And you could bring it and just throw it into this trash. In fact, I'm looking right now down at it. There are tons of people from the first celebration that already did so. So we're going to give you a moment, whatever that sexual secret, and keep your eyes on your own paper. That's why we have the lights down. No one else needs to see this. This is just between you and God. And you can wrinkle it up. You can fold it. You can do whatever you want. But after you've figured out what that is, I'd invite you to just come and throw it away. Throw it in the trash so that you can have freedom. And then after we're done, Derek is actually going to lead us in a song about how God loves us and Jesus is for you. And he doesn't remember these. He throws them away. So I'm going to pray and give you a moment and I'll be the first one to kind of do this. And then if you feel called to, if you feel led, if you're like, you know, what, I really do that thing back on that night during that time, man, I, I want to get rid of that. And you could do that today. So let's pray and then we'll give you a moment to do that. And then we can throw it away. Let's pray. Well, God, for some folks here today, it probably wasn't the teaching that they were anticipating. And maybe today they would just come clean with whatever that is from their past so that they don't have to carry it, that they can throw the trash away. So through your Holy Spirit, God, we ask that you would come, that you would bring freedom from secret sexual sins from our past so that we could be made whole. So come, God, do your work. And then we will celebrate the fact that you love us in spite of our past secret sexual sins. Do what you need to do, God, so that your name would be made great.
you could stand as we close with singing this song this morning. the prayer team to come up and uh, if you'd like prayer for anything uh, they'd love to pray with you let's pray God we uh, thank you so much for what you did in this place today we thank you God that you challenged us today to flee and not to flirt and um, you gave us the Wisdom to know how to set some boundaries so that our relationships, God, could be healthy. And so, Lord, would you help us through this week to know that we can't change our past, but we can change our future. And that as we leave from this place and as we go through this week, we can be healthier in the sexual part of our life knowing that ultimately our bodies are not ours, but they're a temple of your spirit in us. And so God, help us this week to know how to honor you with our bodies so that your name would be made great. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place.
you'd like prayer for anything, come on.